A Platoon of Misery is presented by Eric Hooks. Let it rain. The bricklayer and I were having an argument. We had just landed on the shore of the channel and were rigging our rods when it broke out. It wasn't loud and agitated. Just imagine two old salmon fishermen discussing which of the old river keeper's daughters are the prettiest and you've got the idea. Normally we'd get along without any differences and are both pretty tolerant, but this time we had hit the high water mark. The controversy wasn't about life and death. It was much more crucial. We debated the weather, or to be more specific, the weather forecast. In the days before the internet and smartphones, things were a lot less complicated. There was one authoritative source of the weather and we listened to it in silent respect at every hour at the end of the radio broadcasted news. Our country is so small that if a low pressure area moves just a few miles, things won't turn out as the meteorologists have predicted and you can find yourself standing in strong winds and heavy rain when it was supposed to be sunny. That has made us curse a shower of meteorologists more than once and talking about burning one of them as an offer to the weather gods. But as I once pointed out to the bricklayer, they burn pretty badly when wet. Things changed a lot when the world and especially the weather forecast turned digital. We have become internet junkies when it comes to weather and current. I have to admit that I open at least one weather app in the morning and do it again several times during the day and in the days before a weekend when we usually go fishing it becomes nearly obsessive. There are four websites that need to be consulted ahead of a fishing trip and that can sound a bit over the top but it makes sense. Two websites for the wind, one for the water level and most importantly the current is examined and discussed before we make the final decision about where to go. It matters. I know that if the wind is right I can cast exactly five degrees to the right of the green boy in the middle of the channel and that will make my fly swing in the current to the spot where the sea trout often are, but only if the current is eastbound and strong enough. And that's why we study the weather forecast so meticulously again and again. There are quite a few factors that we have to peak before everything is hunky-dory. Additionally, in late spring and early summer, it has to be dark before the fun starts. Why the trout often stay in the same place is a mystery to me. It can't be seaweed or a slightly deeper hole. The thing is that all the furniture is moved around the seabed every winter. Storms followed by really strong currents can change everything. We wade out one day on a meadow of seaweed and after a storm everything is covered in sand and that will again change after a storm that doesn't even have to happen in our area. The Baltic Sea is so small that heavy weather in the other end can create strong current in ours. Researchers in sea currents must be pulling the last few strands of hair out of the heads 
because of that small pond we fish in. In spring, there's a kind of weather that keeps everybody indoors and me rushing out to the channel. Rain. Not just a little rain, but pouring heavy rain and not too much wind. Rain that continues for hours and makes the world one big wet blur. The rod is rigged on the dining table and I dress in waders in the living room. It's not fun to put your waders on standing in the rain. There's no coffee in the bag, only an insulated cup with ready-made coffee and some chocolate to keep me going. And then I jump in the car and I drive the four miles to the channel. Now I've got it all to myself. Nobody is stupid enough to go out in weather like that except for one crazy fly fisher. I've seen people peeking out of their windows, shaking their heads when I park the car. What they don't know is that I'm warm and dry under my wading jacket and waders and that the rain actually adds a feeling of comfort. It's like lying in a good tent when it's raining. The half mile walk to the beach on the small peninsula reaching out into the channel is filled with expectation. The cows on the meadow I have to pass turn their rear end to the wind and calmly chew their dinner like they are meditating, as cows do. Yes, it rains, but a cow has to eat, and yes, it's raining, but a fly fisher has to fish. I have to take it all in, sitting for a while, sipping coffee. It's hard to see the bank on the other side of the channel through the wet curtains over the water. The sound of raindrops hitting water becomes a melody and sometimes reaches a crescendo when the rain steps up a gear or two. With a cap on and the hood of my wading jacket over it, it's just dripping a little less than three inches from my nose. At the end of the tippet, I have tied a big bushy shrimp fly. It has to be big to be seen in the very grey light that turns my vision into black and white image with nearly no contrast. When I wade out, I know that I will not be able to see any boils today. Those heavy drops on the water make it impossible. But on the other hand, the fish will not see me. The weather makes me a stealth hunter, armed with a thin but deadly stick. A few steps out, the current hits my legs from two sides, both left and back, and the current takes a strange turn here. It's hard to walk straight when your legs get pushed to the side every time you lift your feet. The trick is to do most of the walk in shallow water and then make a sharp turn to the deeper, otherwise you have to use a lot of energy walking against the current. I'm looking for the exact place to stand in between two lighthouses on each side of the channel. Of course the right place depends on the water level, but normally it's 10 inches more than knee deep. On my way out, I've been casted in front of me, getting more and more line off the reel. You never know if a trout has decided to take a trip to the shallows and it would be stupid to spook it by wading too close. Sure, it happens rarely, but I've caught pretty good sized fish in almost no water. When I've found the right spot, the meditative session starts. Two back casts and then shoot the line. Strip the fly back in and repeat. 
the only variation is the angle of the cast to the current and for how long the fly sinks before I strip it in. A perfect cast and drift will make the line straighten and the fly lift a bit in the water at the right spot and that can make me think now. I've tried a few times that the take comes exactly at that moment and that is a triumph that's hard to describe. A flash of white light in my head is the closest I can get. I don't know for how long I stand repeating the same movements but the thought of coffee and chocolate normally brings me back to the real world. Time for a break. The green boy is having a hard time rocking as it's in the strong current. Normally I can hear it, but the sound of the water hitting water is too loud. I empty the cup and fight the current, finding a new spot only a few yards from where I stood before, and that can make the world of difference, and it does. A few casts and the fly makes a sudden stop that causes me to lift the rod. The answer is some very angry head shakes that sends Morse code through my rod, hand, arm and brain. And there's no way I can misunderstand the words in the telegram. Watch out, stop. This is pretty serious, stop. With everything wet, I have to stray from the normal tactic, that is to fight the fish line in hand, unless it's so strong that it rushes off with all the loose line. But the line will probably slip from my soaked fingers. Instead, I retreat backwards, hoping that I won't stumble over a stone while I frantically reel in the loose line. The plan works for a few steps and then the problem is solved by the angry fish that with all its mighty power and help from the current rushes off. Tight line. It's hard to see where the line disappears in the water because of the fading light and the thick drape of rain. This has to be done by pure instinct. First I try to reel the trout in, but my violent opponent soon makes my reel sound tormented. This is going to be tough. A new rush, and then the line slacks, and I feel the panic creeping in on me. Then the line gets tight again, and I grasp that this fish must have been jumping without me being able to see or hear it. Damn, this is scary. I need to lead it to shallow water, to make it harder for it to leap. The thing is that I can still see a fat trout hanging in the air, spitting my fly out some years ago, a mental Polaroid that will never leave me. Slowly I escape closer to the beach, trying to get the trout to swim to a place where the current is weaker. But it takes another rush. It's not as strong as the one before, and I'm beginning to feel a bit confident. Well, except for the fact that I have to get the fish in the net in total darkness since I've forgotten my headlamp in the bag on the beach. You blockhead. I mumble and I try to reel the trout in. This time, there's only a heavy weight at the other end of the line. It makes a few splashes in the surface and then there's only the sound of the rain. Using the net as a blind man's cane, I find the fish, secure it and wade for dry land or as dry as it can be in this weather. Feeling my way down the bag, I find the headlamp and turn it on. The trout is no less than perfect. For the first time, I feel wet on my face and I swear that it's rain.
The Platoon of Misery is read by Patrick Johnson, written and produced by Søren Skarby.